This is EntreEd Talk, the podcast for entrepreneurial educators by entrepreneurial educators. We are your hosts, Toy Hirschman and Amber Ravenscroft. This podcast is created by the National Consortium for Entrepreneurship Education, or EntreEd for short. Hi, everyone, and welcome to EntreEd Talk. We are super excited to be here today with Dr. Will Diemport III. He is a district instructional technologist for Hattiesburg Public School District in Mississippi, serving grades K through 12. He's a digital transformation strategist, writer, podcaster, and documentary filmmaker. In 2016, Dr. Will was one of three educators selected as a Mississippi Spotlight Speaker at the Mississippi Educator Computing Conference and served as a Schoology Ambassador from 2015 to 2018. Dr. Will is best known for his work in assisting educators in going digital, and he has written for Schoology Exchange, District Administration, EdSearch, iNicole, and TechEdge Magazine. He holds bachelor's degrees in radio, TV, and film, and child and family studies from the University of Southern Mississippi, and a doctorate of education in educational leadership and management from Capella University. Phew, I'm worn out. (laughs) Hi, Dr. Will, how are you? I'm doing well, Amber. Thanks for bringing me on. Oh, no, we're super excited to have you. I'm going to share with our podcast listeners that I've also been on Dr. Will's podcast, and we'll talk a little bit more about that later. But I just want to share that that's kind of how we got connected is through the Twitter sphere, and we're super excited to share your story. And I think you have a lot of really cool things that we're going to talk about today. But I want to start by asking you about young Will. I know we heard a lot of your accomplishments as an educator, but what was young Will, Dr. Will like? What passions drove you? I come from humble beginnings and I just remember having a love of movies. I would just stay up late at night and watch a lot of movies. And the odd thing about it is, you know, during that time, you know, TV actually cut off. So the only thing that was really on was like a a classic movie channel. So I watched a lot of old black and white movies and really thought that I was going to be a filmmaker full-time. I mean, that's what I went to undergrad for the first time. Yeah. Very cool. What was your favorite movie when you were a kid? Wow. I know. I'm throwing it at you. This was not. (laughs) Uh, As a kid, I don't know if I had a favorite movie as a kid. I do know that I really enjoyed in the 80s those movies. And I can't even remember the director right now, but he did, uh, you know, 16 Candles. John Hughes. I was okay. a big John Hughes fan, you know, back in the day. Uh, so, yeah, I, I don't know if I could. I don't have one. Nothing comes to mind, like, from as a child. But John Hughes films were, like, the ones that kind of stuck out to me. I'm very interested to see how you've applied that. And, I, I mean, I personally know, right? But I'm interested for people to hear about how your love has translated into your work currently. You went to school for film, radio, TV. How did you get to become an educator? Like, what was that pathway? I literally graduated and I went home. And I, and I graduated in December. So I went home, I'm, I'm at Pop's house, and I'm thinking, okay, what am I going to do? And in my mind, you know, I'm like, okay, I'm going to get a job and write this script. And I said, oh, what would give me freedom to do so? Oh, I can substitute teach. Uh, and so I started doing that and really had a great time uh, working with the kids because I formed a relationship with a Spanish teacher and I work with her in prepping kids for a 
foreign language festival. So I taught the kids how to salsa dance and everything. <laughs> and they competed in the contest. And then it was about, okay, sort of what next? I didn't really have an idea of what would happen next. And I received a postcard from Career Services at the University of Southern Mississippi about Gear Up. And I applied and was accepted. And from there, I've been working in education pretty much since then, except for a brief stint as a social media strategist. I think that your story is actually very similar to mine, like dipping my toes into the education landscape and then you fall in love with it and then you're kind of there for life. I do want to ask, could you briefly talk about Hattiesburg Public School District where you're at now? Like what kind of environment is the the region just so that the listeners kind of get a feel for where you're at in Mississippi? Well, Hattiesburg to me is the best city uh, in Mississippi because it's small but still has a, a, a feel of bigness to it. And we're less than two hours away from New Orleans. The public school system that I am with, it has about 4,000 students. We are like one-to-one Chromebooks from grade six through 12. And then uh, we have an elementary school that is about two to five, one-to-one. And other schools are every year bringing in more Chromebooks It is a school uh, headed by a a superintendent whose heart is in the right place and uh, someone who, you know, has a strong, you know, vision for the district. Perfect. Yeah. And I think that um, you kind of touched base on where I'm heading with my next question is around your kind of call or your pull towards technology and how it can help influence classrooms. And, you know, as a district instructional technologist, you're responsible for a significant amount of technology for students. And your Twitter bio reads, you help educators make sense of going digital, and you've kind of owned that narrative. And I think that's super important in today's world. So can you talk a little bit about what you mean by that? Well, I don't, how o- do I don't you overcomplicate digital? it. You know, I'm uh, sometimes I tell, I've told my wife that I'm a lazy minimalist. Uh, <laughs> I just, you know, I, I tend to coach teachers up because I understand that I can't change the entire system, but with each individual teacher, I can work with them and, and assist them in getting to the next level and them taking ownership of where they want to go. So what I like to do is, you know, talk to teachers, get to know them, observe what they're doing in the classroom. And once I find that thing that they're doing, that thing that they do very well, then I approach them with technology solutions that fit what they're already doing to enhance what they're doing. So instead of me trying to uh, remake them, so to speak, as a teacher, finding ways in which technology works well with what they're already doing. So that's why I say I, I insist them in I'm making sense of it in terms of I'm not here to bring a grandiose vision of technology and going digital. I've, I've done that and failed miserably and really wanted to quit my job because it was like a crash and burn. And then I just stepped back and said, look, I can't change these people. But what I can do is if I know someone is awesome, like Mr. Jackson at direct instruction, let's get an iPad in his hand and let show him how he can use, explain everything to create videos for his students. And they receive the instruction the same way he delivers it in class. They'll hear his voice. And then he'll be able to pop those videos in Schoology 
and kids will have it there. So that's sort of what I'm, what I mean. I love that. And I think that that's actually really complimentary to kind of Entre Ed's view of how we integrate entrepreneurship in the classroom, right? Is identify what the teachers do very well and use entrepreneurship education as a vessel to complement that. And I think that's exactly what you're talking about with your instructional technology and how you use that. So I think there's really cool parallel there. We talked a little bit last week about Schoology and kind of your passion around that. And I know we have a lot of schools that use Schoology. So um, do you want to talk a little bit very briefly about what you meant when you were a Schoology ambassador and what that looked like for you? It was a cool experience to sort of get an inside view and be able to connect with other people who have a love of Schoology, as I do, and to learn from them and hear what they're doing in the classroom. What I love about it versus, let's say, a Google Classroom is it creates a fully realized online experience for your entire district. So not only can, you know, teachers create these different uh, courses and blend their courses with. I've worked with a coach before where he created a group and put his basketball team in, in, in the group. And what he would do would, he would send them messages. He could, you know, sometimes he told me I would send, he would send inspirational quotes, but he could also send them schedules. He could also send them reminders right there. I also developed some online PD courses for teachers that teachers can go through and earn CEUs and where they can learn on their own time. And we've had district level people do it as well. So with Schoology, what we've been able to do and what I hope to be able to continue to do this year is to be able to develop an agile learning organization where we are able to house a bunch of, a bunch of different learning initiatives on the one platform. Very cool. Yeah, I don't think, I mean, personally, I have not had to, because I'm not an educator in a classroom in a traditional sense, I've not had to interact with the Schoology platform, but I'm familiar with it from the perspective of my educators that work with it. And I think that it's definitely an underutilized resource and, and people don't understand the full power of that. So I appreciate you talking about that. Um, and I think all your work around technology has kind of led to this personal brand for you that you really have built over the years and you've created this kind of persona as you are the person that people go to for digital help. And I want to talk a little bit about at what point did you realize that that could be something entrepreneurial based and, and how, what was that process for you? I was sitting at a conference and I'm in the audience and I'm watching this person do their thing. And I'm sitting here and I'm wondering, this person isn't a unicorn. Uh, no shade to them, but I was sitting there going, if they're getting a check, then I'm going to get a check <laughs> because, you know, again, I, I, they, they weren't Meryl Streep or anyone. Like they weren't like, oh my gosh, this is, wow. So that made me think, look at my skills and what I have already been doing with the teachers in our district and what I've, you know, been presenting on at conferences. And it made me go, well, hey, if they're out there doing it, I can do it too. And I just stepped forward. What was your first step? I know we talk a lot about you are a writer, you're a podcaster, you're a filmmaker, and we'll get into those latter two, but was writing the first step and how did you start with that? The first step was I had started like a little show when I was a social media strategist for the company to sort of create content. But once I transitioned to the district, 
my sort of first step was I had been presenting at, at different conferences, even before I, I went to the district. And I would remember a, an assistant superintendent for a school district in the state. We were just talking uh, in the lobby of one of the conferences. And he said, hey, is this something that you do? And I was like, what, on my off time? And he was like, yeah. I was like, yeah. And then he showed up to one of my sessions. And I said, oh, uh, is this a job interview? He kind of chuckled and said, well, yes. And then <laughs> I did my session. And then afterwards, he said, I'll be in contact with you. And that was my first, cons- I got my first consulting gig from that. That's amazing. So you kind of were were learning as you went, for sure. Um, it was just kind of a process for you. And you saw this one speaker and you're like, I can do that too. And I agree. I loved your your quote about, you know, that person wasn't a unicorn. I think in today's society, it's really rare to find a unicorn entrepreneur. Uh, more often than not, it can be replicated. And I think like your mission of empowering other people to recognize that is super important. So I want to talk about the podcast. I've had a pleasure of being a guest on the podcast, The Dr. Well Show. I love its mission. So can you talk a little bit about that and how you've grown it over the years and what are your thoughts on podcasting for educators? Because that's a huge trend. There are like three questions there. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, the podcast first started because I reached out to a friend of mine, Eric Schinniger, and he's really a phenomenal educator, speaker, writer, consultant. And, you know, he has as experience, you know, out there as an entrepreneur for a while. And I just said, Hey man, I, I'm trying to get to your level. How do I do this? And he said, well, you need to create content. Now Eric is a prolific writer and I am not. So I went back to my love of creating a show, which I had done at my previous job. And so that's when I got into podcasting. I just I took his advice to create content. And after three years of doing shows on blended learning and online learning and iPads and those things. I just really got bored of it. <laughs> and I was like, it's time to do something else. And I, I cause I, you know, along the way I had sprinkled in some shows that dealt with uh, entrepreneurship, but I just decided it was time to go because it was something burning in me that needed to come out. And so my fourth season, I went all in and it was my most, downloaded listen to season by by leaps and bounds and so that's sort of how my podcast came about to really sort of educate the entire teacher in terms of getting them to understand that their lives are bigger than their classrooms and how can they live their best lives and with a mission to get them to monetize their talents and when I look at the landscape of podcasting it is phenomenal i mean you can use tools i mean you there are tools you can use of course to pay for to do your shows but you can also grab your iphone and download the anchor app for free and create your podcast for free and it'll automatically shoot it out to stitcher and google and uh, apple Podcasts and those places so it doesn't take much technology to do it and it doesn't take a lot of expense to do it. Uh, so I love it because it puts the access of any, of any individual to become a storyteller at their f- fingertips. And they can get their message out worldwide. Yeah, and the storytelling piece is huge, right? So if you had to pick, and this is another one where I, uh, 
probably putting you on the spot. If you had to pick one or two podcast episodes, maybe even from your fourth season, that really impacted you personally, but also that you think had a really strong message, like what, what comes to mind? I would say Alex Batdorf. She is interesting because she had created a few startups and one of her companies, which I have never heard this before, she is a co-founder of a company that still exists. She sent her resignation letter and put it online for the world to see. The co-founder of the company is like, I'm out because she said Mondays didn't feel like the joy and passion of why she started the company. It started to feel like business. It started to feel like meetings on projections and accounting. And she said, I didn't sign up for this. And so she rolled out and now she coaches women entrepreneurs. That really stuck out because it was a great interview. So honest, so powerful. And her story behind like, how does she got to where she is now? Yeah. Like, are you kidding me? Like that, that was there. Another episode I think sticks out for me would be Ayana. And that's because she sort of opened the doors for me to do some bigger things. And so with Minda Hearts, I'll throw it out there, Minda Hearts, who has a book uh, coming out in the fall, but they are so dynamic, so powerful, and their tribe is so huge that once I got them on my show, I could get guests in this new avenue that I was pursuing in terms of entrepreneurship because their people heard me. And when I would send a tweet and say, hey, I'm looking for guests. Can you recommend someone? Here's five people. Here's five people. And now I'm getting more people on my show, more people on my show. Not to mention their mission and what they spoke about were truly inspirational in terms of me understanding that I can do this. I just need to put in the work. Absolutely. And I think you actually touched on a really big principle of entrepreneurship and entrepreneurial mindset is this idea of crazy quilt and how when you know somebody and they know somebody and you have this just whole ecosystem and collaboration, how did you get those people? Like, what were your steps in pursuing these speakers? Because it's intimidating. I mean, we're just starting out, obviously. So we're working with our current ecosystem. But how did you do that? I just hit people up on Twitter or Instagram or LinkedIn. I say the same thing to everyone. I think you're dope. And I would like to interview you on my podcast. Most people say yes. I've been blessed for that to happen. But if they don't respond, they don't respond. Yeah. Or I've had people say, yeah, I'll do it. Email me. And I've emailed them and had no response. The worst thing someone can say is no. Mm -hmm. And the no doesn't pay my mortgage. So (laughs) it doesn't, you know what I'm saying? It doesn't matter if they say no. So I just put it out there. I love that. And I think that's a really good lesson for any entrepreneur to learn. Like you're going to have people that say no to you and they should. It's just how you keep moving forward through that. And I want to talk because your podcast has grown tremendously and it's a super cool podcast. So I encourage all of our listeners to, to hop on over and listen to the Dr. Will show. But you also are doing a lot of really cool stuff around documentaries including a recent one. So do you want, let's, let's talk about the Edupreneur documentary and its tagline right now is making the impact and the income. How did this become a thing? <laughs> a friend of mine, Dr. Sarah Thomas is the founder and CEO of EduMatch and EduMatch Publishing. I had her on my podcast and interviewed her about her journey 
And I just told her, hey, you know, I would love to work with you. I said, but I, I don't have a book in me. And she was the one to say, you should do a documentary. And I was what are you talking about? She said, you're already interviewing all of these great people. You can just do it and create a narrative from, from those interviews. What? <laughs> and as I molded over, I said, let's do this. And once we sat down, we talked about it and she sent me the proposal. Literally, I'm up here getting ready to write the proposal. And I was going to talk about going one-to-one, right? That's, this is what I do for a living. Mm-hmm. And something said, no, you cannot do this. You have to tell the story of the entrepreneur. And then I turned in that proposal, Sarah said yes. And then I went to work on getting my dream cast. And that's how this thing came up. That's awesome. And I don't know if you knew this, but the founder of my company, The Adventure Group, is a high school educator turned entrepreneur. We've been a nonprofit for 20 years now. So she's a social entrepreneur. But And I know at EntreEd, our focus is primarily on ensuring that the teachers are prepared to teach the students. But more often than not, teachers have side hustles. They're working on all kinds of other things. Why do you think it's important for teachers and educators to understand their potential as an entrepreneur? Uh, first, I believe in I believe in multiple streams of income for everyone, uh, particularly if you're an educator, because depending on where you live in the country, your starting salary could be thirty thousand dollars, thirty two thousand dollars. And if you've been watching the news, a lot of educators, they've been protesting and walking out because that's just not a lot to live off of. And when you look at the fact that you're so passionate about educating your students and making an impact and you've gone to school, you've, you've earned these degrees and then you look around and you have colleagues working at McDonald's or, or JC Penney or somewhere. And those are legitimate jobs. And I'm not knocking anyone for getting a hardworking job. Mm -hmm. I'm just saying that why not take what you love, what you're passionate about, what you have worked hard to do and, monetize the talents that you, and skills you already have to create an education-based business. Absolutely. And I think one of the biggest things, we do a lot of professional development at my a nonprofit, and one of the biggest learning curves for me was recognizing that when we have trainings for teachers, they care more about talking to each other because of the expertise in the room than a trainer standing in front of them. And so I think you're talking exactly about that. Like every single teacher is good and can be a consultant and can own their own talents and and make a profit from that. And I think it's very important in terms of entrepreneurship education as we move forward that teachers understand you know, how to monetize and so that they're properly portraying that to students and so that they're setting the example. Um, well, I mean, I think that's so important and I applaud the work that you're doing around your podcast and the entrepreneur documentary about this because it's so vital. I think you've done, you're an exemplar, right? Like you are the, the example that we're trying to get teachers to get to so that they understand that, you know, one simple change in their, in their daily lives can make these things happen. What advice would you give to somebody that's interested in this, but you know, they're scared, right? It's a very scary world to dabble into. Um, What advice would you have for an educator that's thinking they might want to? Well, the the cool thing is the best way to do it is to niche down anyway, to create a specific 
target market and thing that you're going to be doing. So that's the cool thing because you don't have, you're not out there trying to sell everything to everyone. So I'm just telling educators, look at what you're already doing, what you're passionate about, what people are recognizing you in your district about, what people are asking you to speak about or present, what teachers are coming to you during the faculty meetings to say, hey, I'm having a problem with this. Hey, what's going, hey, you're doing this. Can you give me some help? That will give you an idea of where you can create a business from. And then when you're talking about the side hustle, you're, I'm not telling you to leave your job uh, to go pursue this full time. So you have time to build the business. And, you know, in business, you have someone to say, you know, proof of viable uh, product is hit the conference circuit. Start presenting at conferences. Get that confidence behind you getting audience responses to what you're doing and get that feel. And once you see that, wow, I'm getting the responses. People are, are talking to me. They're, they're giving me the applause. They're asking me, Hey, you know, you have some more information. Then, you know, for a fact, you have a business there. Absolutely. And I loved what you said about um, like, you can't have, you can't sell to everyone. I, my background's in marketing. And so I remember distinctly in a class on selling and marketing and advertising, my professor, and he said, if you're selling to everyone, you're selling to no one. And I love what you said and you recommended about like having that niche that you can focus on because they do have the expertise there. And I love the idea of the conference circuits too, because that's how you can gain credibility around what you're doing and, and have your name out there. And you can list when you do other proposals that you've spoken at this, this, and this. So um, I think we're really talking again about personal brand and like really owning who you are as an educator and then allowing different income strings to monetize from that. So I love that. I want to talk briefly about like, how can people find out about you? Where can they follow you? I know you have tons of different platforms going on. So, so what's the contact info for all of those different things you've got working? Uh, hit me up on Twitter at I am Dr. Will. That is the, the platform I spend the most uh, time on. Just say hello, follow me and let's engage in the dialogue. Uh, I learn as much as I like to share or think that I provide in terms of value. You know, Twitter is my uh, wheelhouse. So just follow and let's get to know each other. Okay. And we'll definitely share your Twitter handle with our listeners as well. And then where can they go to watch the Edupreneur documentary? Wow. Well, if you go to Vimeo, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you go to Vimeo, you can just do a simple search of the Edupreneur and you'll see it right there. It, I think is a great documentary, particularly for those educators who have that sort of thought process of do I want to, or do I not want to? It's a great introduction to entrepreneurship. And I think that it will answer those questions for you. Perfect. Well, yeah, thank you so much. You are, uh, you know, an, an inspiration to many educators and I think it's so important. And actually you're one of the first educators that are currently in a school system that are doing a lot of entrepreneurial work that we've actually had the pleasure of interviewing on the podcast. So I think that's really powerful and we're really excited to share your story to hopefully empower other educators who are listening to, to think a little bit bigger about what their expertise areas are. And so thank you so much for joining us. And I'm just super excited that I had the chance to interview you for hours. Well, thank you for the invitation. I appreciate it.